We are in the midst of answering that question, why church? I realize this, that because of our new facility, some of you are going to be trying church and you haven't tried it in quite a while. And maybe you're giving it one last chance. I'd encourage you to give it the chance that lasts for the rest of your life. Uh, here's an example. When we looked at Roy and as he was sharing, you know, what would be his reason for why church? Well, first of all, church is an anchor for him in, in, in a world that's very disruptive. He mentioned the issues of issues. Glad none of us have issues. We all have issues. Where is that place of stability? Who are those people that we can rely on? That's what church is all about. More than that, he's found resources to navigate into very wise and loving decisions on agonizing issues. He's found it to be a spiritual home, not just for him, but for his entire family. And as he mentioned, not only has he been encouraged by being here, but he has encouraged others because he's here. What do I mean by that? Well, he has spent a lot of time in my office making sure that things like computers and telephones and, and other things work. And if you would have left me alone to do it, there would be a lot of trouble. I still believe in smoke signals. And, and so I'm not caught up. And he and others have really made this new facility up to date in terms of its technology. Why church? Why should I invest my time in it? Why should I bother attending it? Understand that this is not just the place, but this is the, uh, the time and the season where you can encourage your connection with God and with his people. And that will help you invest your life in the right ways and handle the changes that will be coming into your life. Many people in this, in this church are my personal heroes. They have uh, gone before me in, in some of life's challenges. And as I think of how am I going to handle the, the future uh, decades of my life, I look to them in terms of what they've already done. I look to many of the younger people, and I see that they are making uh, decisions in their lives and, and installing them in different ways. So where they could have handled life's adversities uh, with uh, anger or wanting to punish others, instead they've shown grace, and they've come out with a re returned love when, when they were thrown disgrace. Uh, I don't know if you personally have found your inner strength in God and you've allowed him to find answers for you that can only come from him. But understand that we're living in a world where people are often saying, no, there's other sources, other ways in which we can find uh, sort of those, those anchors to make our decisions with. Uh, this last week, I picked up Parade Magazine. Now, I've been reading Parade Magazine in the Sunday paper since I was a boy. It was right there folded into the comics. I usually read the comics and then occasionally read Parade Magazine. But I, I, I picked it up in terms of how one person is handling life situations. And I'm not in the midst of putting her down, but her name is Gretchen Rubin. And here is the article that she wrote, and it deals with a book, a larger book that, that she has written. Uh, Gretchen Rubin, Breaking Bad Habits. Gretchen takes a sledgehammer to old-fashioned notions about change. And so in her book, she has talked about how your personality type 
and, and she lists about eight of them, how your personality type can affect the way you are controlled by your bad habits or not controlled by your good ones. And so as she goes through, she gives herself as an example. And this was very interesting because in her personality type, uh, the way best to bring about change in her life is a become a highly scheduled person who gives a daily routine and has a, a strict weekly schedule from which she will not deviate. Now, I know some of you, you would call that scheduled slavery, wouldn't you? That you love freedom and to operate in freedom. Now, she would say to me, Jim, the best way to stay off Cheetos is never go shopping and never go down the chip aisle. Pay someone to shop for you. Well, I fell in love with somebody and she shops for me, but uh, (laughs) that's the best way for me to do it. So, and she says, uh, if you want to know how to change, once you change, change equals happiness. I'm sorry. That's just not enough. So it's not that I don't need help with some better habits and bad habits, but it's just a behavioral way of looking at it. Uh, We have a, a current administration where our president has said he came to be president to be a transformational leader with a transformational administration. And yet when you get to Washington, you realize maybe the best thing you can do in your administration is cause legislation. Have you ever noticed that laws and rules fall short of changing you from the inside out? Have you ever noticed there's nothing wrong? We mean, we need rules and we need laws, but they don't change the inner being. They don't change the emotions. Uh, They don't change our feelings. They tell us how to behave And they will tell us how our taxes will be used, but they can't change the inner person. So as we're looking at why church, here at Bergen Park Church, we talk a lot more about transformation. Uh, Not through a human power, but transformation through our relationship with God. In other words, there are some things that are beyond our abilities. Some things where we need to go beyond just human help. That we are creatures and our creator can change things from within when things can't be changed from without. And Jesus often said this. What comes outside of you is what's inside of you. Happens every time. Every time. So we're talking about a transformational relationship with God. And we're saying this, that real change comes from God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. And I want to take you to a, what, what I would call a final briefing. The final briefing is the one that Jesus gives to his disciples. And he's in a large room on a rooftop in Jerusalem, gathering with his disciples for Passover. And he spends from John 13 to John 17 giving, him, giving them his last instructions. And you'll see that even though if you read it, it takes oh, Probably a little less than an hour, but if you really want to get something out of it, I'd suggest you read an hour. But he's saying, I'm telling you these things now because I'm going away, and I'm telling you to you now because I want you to remember them. These are the last, pretty much, instructions you will hear from me. So get them right. Get them straight. And you'll find that if you read John 13 to 17, that there are themes which he repeats over and over again. 
They deal with how they will live once he is gone. They deal with how they will be most effective in changing the world once he is gone. That they will succeed in turning the world upside down, but it won't be the usual way that we've seen through history. It won't be an empire that uses force. It won't be an army that invades. It'll be a kingdom, but the kingdom of heaven will invade the world. World change will occur. But in God's kingdom, it'll occur one person at a time through God's Holy Spirit transforming lives. So how does a person change permanently from the inside out? The way change occurs, the way that transformation happens, is God's Spirit comes into lives. So in this briefing that he gives, these last instructions, he speaks a lot about the Holy Spirit in John 14 and John 16. And he hasn't spoken much to them about it until this time. So he wants them to remember that he promised his Holy Spirit would be coming, but uh, it will be he will be coming after Jesus himself leaves. And he tells them to stay around Jerusalem. The Spirit will be coming, and the Spirit will do things that Jesus himself could not do. What do I mean by that? He says, and I will send you in John 14, verses 16 and 17, I will send you another counselor who will be with you forever. Not for a short period of time, but forever. Not the three years that Jesus was with his disciples, but forever. And he is the spirit of truth. Not just a spirit who's sort of a friend or a spirit who counsels you, but he's a spirit of truth. You can rely on him. So it begins with a gift whose power supersedes human ability. The Spirit of God does what no man or no textbook or no video can do. Any of you watch infomercials like I do? Because I really want to lose weight and have good abs. I really do. I really want to get rid of this turkey neck as soon as I possibly can. And I realize that if I watch these continually and order their products, it can all happen. Well, that's a good thing, but it changes me with the sculpted abs and everything else. It changes me on the outside. But I have a God who sends his spirit, and he's telling me that I can become what he, the creator, has designed me to be. It has nothing to do with the outside. Have you ever seen two Christians that look alike? Well, twins, okay. But you usually don't, do you? We're different. We're always different. So it's not what we look like or how sculpted our body is. It's the fact that God gives his spirit. And Jesus promises in this final briefing that this spirit, he will be with you as a counselor. But he will also be in you. He will be in you. The first thing that the Spirit does is that when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, that by faith, that faith in Jesus Christ, God changes our whole relationship with him. What do we call this? Well, instead of being an enemy of Christ, he gives us a righteous standing before him in our relationship with him. This is called our position before God. Uh, Any of you have honorary doctorates? Me neither. But any of you? I mean... Have any of you been giving honorary doctorate? Okay. An honorary doctorate usually comes how? Well, you've left a college. You've made a name for yourself. 
and they call you back and say, we know you just barely got a bachelor's, but we would like to recognize you by giving you a doctorate. Please come. And so you go and they give it to you. Now, what did you do to get the doctorate? You got famous. You did something real good. But what they bestow on you is not because you went to school and got a doctorate. The position that God puts us in is something he bestows upon us. He says, this is what I am giving you with my spirit. I now look at you as one who is righteous before me. All your sins are forgiven. And this is your position. It is something that I have granted you because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. But we also are given in the Holy Spirit power to live in that position daily. In other words, it's just not the position he gives us and we say, we don't, there's nothing in our lives that say we deserve it. But he gives us the power to practice what he wants us to be. The theological word for this is called sanctification or becoming holy like God wants you to be. Becoming indeed what God has done for you already inside spiritually. How he looks at you. And here's the deal. He says, as long as I've made you a new person, I want you to live a new life. And I realize that, you know, the position I've given you is true. But I also realize the condition you're living in is something that needs to be transformed. So when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he gives the gift of the Holy Spirit who is with you and in you. And understand that the Holy Spirit wants to be working the life of Christ coming from the inside out. A few years ago, we took a trip back to Australia to visit uh, these people who used to be in our youth group in a, in a previous millennium, and now they were grandparents like we are. And as we were talking to them, I asked, never asked this question. Is there anything that I should have done differently 30 years ago? Never asked that question. They were loaded, okay? <laughs> they were ready. And here's the, here's the one thing that many of them came to me and said, you know, Jim, we are Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we just sensed that in this church and a lot of your teaching was more Twinitarian, Father and Son, Dualitarian, Father and Son, but not, you didn't teach us much about the Holy Spirit. And I could honestly say, hey, just out of seminary. There's a lot of things that, you know, I was still learning. And there's a lot of things about the Holy Spirit I'm still learning. But one of the things is that the Holy Spirit, because he's living with you and in you, because he's in you, she should be the most influential person you deal with. He should be the one who uh, you might say you are filled with, not just have a little bit of him. Uh, Here are some of the phrases of how we deal with the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Be filled with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Uh, Be yielded by or yield yourself to the Spirit. Let the Spirit draw His full influence into your life. When that happens, here's what happens in your life. You become more like Jesus. You become more like Jesus. 
I think you probably have a lot of goals in your life, and I don't know what you think Jesus was like. You know, a kind man, a nice man, had some great phrases that I still use today. No, you become more like him in his deity. You become not just in your position, but in your practice, like Jesus. From the inside out, in ways in which no mere willpower or video series can do it. And if you think you can do it that way, I just want to humble you right now. You've vastly overestimated your abilities. And you will find constant failure until you finally give up and say, why bother? Instead, we're told, be filled with the God Spirit. Let God's Spirit be the primary influence going on in your life. And you will fulfill your designer's desires. Well, that's one of the ways in which we're transformed. And you might say, it's, Jim, I, you know, it's, it's so um, spiritual, it's almost not real. God has given us something else, and that's God's word. And so also in this last briefing, even though the, the, the New Testament had not even been approached yet in terms of writing it down, uh, Jesus is praying in John chapter 17 for his disciples. And one of his prayers is, Lord, sanctify them, and others make them holy, uh, make them good uh, receptacles for the Holy Spirit, sanctify them in truth, and your word is truth, looking at all of the Old Testament, but also the New Testament that would be written. So how do you know that you're living under the influence, uh, being filled with the Spirit, not just simply hearing some inner desires, which may be revealing his selfish heart? And the idea is this, and this is a truism. God's Spirit and God's Word will always agree. When God's Spirit is prompting you, God's Spirit will agree with what you know of God's Word. And that's why God's Word is very objective. So... As Jesus prays for his followers throughout the ages, he asks that they would be in a trusting relationship with God's truth, which we find in the Bible. Peter was one of those who spoke about God's truth. And Peter, who we believe was a major influence in the Gospel of Mark, as well as two letters with his own name on them, a letter from Peter, he uses this phrase that all Scripture writers were carried along by the Spirit of God. The Spirit produced the Word of God. They were carried along or led by them. That means that they, the writers of the Bible, wrote nothing that God did not want, and they wrote everything God did want. We would use that word inerrant. In other words, the truth of God reveals God and the life that we should be living in God, and and, and therefore we know it's true. Um, And and so inerrant means without error. I use the phrase when, when someone says inerrant and their eyes glaze over and that it's not used, I use perfectly reliable. You can trust it. And we will find that if we are reading it, studying it, meditating on it. We will learn all we need to know about who God is and also learn all we need to know about how to live. Now, my experience is it might take some time to learn how to do that. And my experience also, like many of you, is that you rely way too much on a Sunday morning sermon. Now, please keep coming, okay? But there is so much more out there than what I can give you. Uh, 
my wife had somebody uh, come by and uh, while, while she was outside and asking about the church, and that happened even this week, and, and, and so uh, they had uh, loudspeakers going on in their car, and it was a certain pastor um, from a certain city in Dallas, Texas. Okay. And uh, it was uh, a church which was the first in Dallas, Texas, or at least that's what they said. And they said, this is what we want to hear. And so I, I said, Barb, did they leave a message? I can call them. And said, no, that's not me. But I will give you God's truth because I study God's truth. For a long time in my life, I, I, I had to listen only to other people. I listened to teachers. And I couldn't, I just hadn't learned how to um, uh, discern for myself or study the Bible myself, even though I, you know, I'm a classwork type of guy. So uh, as a new Christian, uh, I, I bought a Bible, and it was a black one, and it was the, you know, the, the traditional translation. Then I had some high schoolers come, and it was bigger and thicker and even better leather. And, and then I had some, um, some youth about my age come by, and they said, here, take this. And I felt like I had to put it under my shirt like Mad Magazine or something like that. I wasn't allowed to use it, and it was the Phillips translation. So I started reading that, and you know what? I still didn't get much out of the Bible. And every new translation that came, I bought. So not only did I own a Bible, I owned about every one that was ever published. Still do. You go to my you go to my office and you know shelves filled with Bibles, but something had to happen where I went beyond listening to the teachers, listening to the tapes, and start to study it myself. We here at Bergen Park Church want to help you learn how to do that. Uh, one of the things that has happened since I first started out is they come out with study Bibles, and when you read them, uh, there's all sorts of information that that really helps you understand the more complex text. Now, you, you, there's study Bibles, and then there's ooh, study Bibles. I mean, this is the archaeological study Bible in the, NI, in the new NIV. And man, if you're not getting anything out of it, just lift it a few times. <laughs> but almost every question you will ask while you're reading has some great explanation in there. Yes, you're learning from others, but you're actually dealing with the text itself. And finally, because God has a wonderful sense of humor, uh, he might take you to self-study Bibles or to Bible studies or things like that because he says, I want you to study it and I want you to learn from it. It is my word. It is inerrant. And I can say that for the rest of my life, what I look forward to, I look forward to studying it, to practicing it, and teaching it. And I hope to build you up in your trust, where you understand the Spirit of God and the Word of God are working together. They're in total agreement, and they're indispensable for our transformation. If you want to be more like Jesus, on the inside there's the Spirit, and on the outside there is His Word. Timeless truth. It is timeless truth that helps us into eternal reality. 
And why do I want to be involved in eternal reality? Well, because, you know, I'm living in a culture that settles for if you say the right things, if you wear the right things, if you spend your money on the right things, well, then you're a good person. That's called political correctness. Uh, Recently, I was with a a more elderly person in our church, a a lady, and uh, she took my coat when I went into her uh, home, and she hung it up next to two fur coats. And I looked at those, and I said, those are beautiful coats. I can't wear them now. Oh, why? Well, they look a little bit bulky on me. And I smiled. That's not why. You're politically incorrect. I was at a, a couple years before that, I was at a, a fur store outside. Not, I don't look good in fur myself, okay? But I was at a fur store, and, and I was outside. I think we'd eaten right next door, and uh, which makes you wonder what they're serving, doesn't it? Uh, but but I mean, we were right next door, and we came out, and there was these ladies, young ladies, um, dressed in an earthy style, who, uh, who were carrying signs. And that's a great, you know. I said, wonderful. Uh, tell me, why are you against fur clothing? Well, because they're conscious beings. And I said, then are you vegan? Well, yes, we're vegan. And I said, well, then you don't want me not only buying furs, you don't want me eating hamburgers. That's true. That's where political correctness is going. It leads you away from freedom, and instead of it, it makes you conform instead of being transformed from the inside out. It deals with outward behavior. The final thing that transforms us from that value statement, our, our core value, was, and Jesus spoke about this, is God's people. In John 17, He's praying for his disciples and he says, Lord, I'm going to be in them and you're going to be in me. May they, my disciples, be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have uh, loved them. So, Lord, you you love them just as you love me and this is how their unity is going to be uh, demonstrating that. So God also uses his people to transform me. Also, they're very real-life examples. Now, I know a lot of people, even some of my children, say, Dad, I don't learn in the classroom. I don't learn by, by, by textbooks. I learn best by real-life examples. I learn best in, in the laboratory uh, rather than in the books. And as they said that, I realized that people learn different ways. Now, I spent a lot of my life in classrooms. And I digest and I still read a lot of textbooks. But may I say this, how did I learn to pray? I got out the World Book Encyclopedia on prayer. No. Somebody invited me to a prayer meeting, and in that prayer meeting, I listened to people talk to God. I was very quiet because they were talking out loud to God. And it made me very nervous, and I was afraid they were going to go in a circle, and one of these days it would be my turn. And, and so I, you know, if you're like me, well, then you just take your chair and you sort of move it out of the circle and try to be an observer, right? 
So I, that's what I was doing. And, and, and then I realized as I was watching them that there was something not just about the words but about the heart and the ways that they were praying. And I continued to watch and I continued to observe. And, and, and I realized that this was genuine, that they were talking to God in real ways, that I had never talked to him. Uh, one of the things that they believed God was doing is not just that they were talking to him, but that God was listening and God was concerned and they would share answers. Answers to prayer. I found that they were praising God. And at that time, I was praising Sandy Koufax. I found that they were thanking God. And at that time, I'd only thank the guy that wrote his name on the check for my pay. I found that they were asking forgiveness from God. I only pretended I was good. So throughout my whole Christian life, God has brought into my past examples of what God has wanted to do in me, how he wants to transform me. And it's gone beyond prayer to generosity, to how to study the Bible personally, to listening to God, to building better relationships, including a better marriage. And by the way, did any of you, any of the others of you grow up in an Albanian home? None of you are from an Albanian home? I'm the only one. Okay, take this and it is true. If you ever meet another Albanian, that Albanian needs help in relationships. Everyone that he is in. Why? My dad was from the old country. He believed in authority system. I married a German. Authority doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't. Every time God has brought to me people who have helped. Now, these people are imperfect. Sometimes they only work with me for a series of months or, or whatever, but I have used their example until God brings a better one. And each of these human teachers, though imperfect, has helped me along to keep in touch with the Spirit and be aligned with God's Word. The, the hardest thing was my shallowness. Admitting that I was already further along than I was. So here at Bergen Park Church, we just want you to know that, that the closest relationships that usually develop here are not after church and a donut and a cup of coffee, but usually the closest relationships that occur are through what we call growth groups. We believe that God uses his spirit and his word and the relationships we're in to help us be better followers of Jesus and imitators of Jesus, and that's the transforming process that occurs. And we just want to give you an invitation. These groups will be forming in mid-April, and we encourage you to commit to one of them, and, and we're going to be forming them as fast as we can. We've gone through a growth spurt right now in the last year and a half. We're larger than we've ever been, and we're trying to keep up so that people can be involved in these relationships. So if you've tracked to me to this point, and, and you agree that Spiritual transformation is what really God wants, that he wants to work in me mentally, emotionally, relationally, and, and transform me spiritually so that he can be a more effective, uh, so that he can have more effect in my life, then, then here's your next step. It is God's spirit for transformation, God's word, God's people, but also now it needs to begin to be your prayers. Do you want transformation?
I'll put it another way. Do you want a growing relationship with God? I'll put it another way. Do you want to be more like Jesus? I'm assuming that's a rhetorical question. I'm assuming the answer is yes. I want to be more like Jesus. Then tell him. Start to talk to him. And you're going to find that God's spirit and God's work Uh, God's word work together. And so here's the promise that Jesus made about our prayers. If you remain or abide in me and my words remain or abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be given you. Now, understand that what he's saying is his words and his person. If they, if they stay together, it's like saying God's spirit and God's word. If, if they stay together in us, then understand it affects our prayers. It shapes them. It molds them. It tells us what we really want to pray. We want to be praying that we would be changing from the inside out and that it's God's word and God's spirit working in, in me. So therefore, my prayers are not, I mean, He's concerned about these things, but ultimately, if you want transformation, your prayers are not about your next toy. Your prayers are not about um, your next relationship or your loneliness in your life. Your prayers are not about your net worth. Your prayers are, Lord, I know you want me to be like Jesus in every way. Thanks for the position. Now I want to practice it. And if you pray that prayer and understand it's coming from the inside out, then out of an evaluation that you are not like Jesus and you need help, then here's the promise. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. It's not about what you need, but who you need to be like. And our God will amaze you as he transforms you. And I mean that, really. So this week, I'm asking as we look at Holy Week, we invite you to come Friday for an individual or family experience of the last words of Jesus on the cross, set aside about an hour to an hour and a half to walk through it. But in addition to that, I want your focus to be, what do you want most from God? And just talk to God about it. Lord, what do I want most from you? Evaluate me. Put me next to your son and tell me what you want transformed in my life. And next week we're going to focus more on what God wants from you and what you want to give him. But are you willing this week to pray, Lord, this is what I want from you. Are you willing? God, this is what I want from you. And I want your spirit, your word, your people to influence that in my life. How I should pray. Let's pray together now. Almighty God, thank you so so much for that final briefing. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Be 
before you went out into the olive grove to pray. Thank you so much that one of the things you promise your disciples is that your Holy Spirit would cause them to recall everything you had taught them. Thank you that your spirit carried John along to write down what he saw happen in that room that night and what he heard. Here's my prayer for me, Lord. Change me. Not my circumstances, most of all. Not the other people around me so they'll be nicer. Change me. Not my schedule. Not just my bad habits. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. And when you hear that prayer, your answer is yes. Thank you in Jesus' name. God's people said.